Okay, this morning we have two Bible readings. First one is from the book of Amos, chapter 7, starting at verse 10 through to chapter 8 to, um, to verse 2. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do, not pro- do your prophesying there. Don't prophesize any more at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people of Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country, and Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? he asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. Second Bible reading today is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descendant, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks, Chris. Good morning, church. My name's Tim. I'm the youth pastor here at Norwest. My pleasure to be with you this morning. Let's pray as we hit God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who speaks. You haven't left us by ourselves to work out who you are or what you've done for us in Jesus, but you give us your word. You speak to us. So Father, as you speak this morning, might we listen well and might you drive us to Jesus with all that we are and all that we have. In his name we pray. Amen. Words are very precious. Words are very precious when a husband and wife say, I do, as bride and groom. Words are very precious. Those words are powerful. They mean so much, and they mean so much when they're broken. When a father tells his son or daughter, I'm proud of you, Little hearts leap with joy. When a coach pulls his team together, they're expecting to hear 
what he has to say, his instruction for them for the next half, the next quarter, what's coming up. We remember the first words from our children. Words are very precious. When you wake up on a Sunday morning and you have a text on your phone from James Lewis saying, I don't know if you realise, but daylight savings came last night and it's 8.30, not 7.30. Words are very precious. A few years ago when my nana passed away, her death was quite sudden. She, uh, and she and my granddad had been having afternoon tea, preparing for her to come home from hospital the next day. But she died in her sleep that night. Over afternoon tea, my nana and granddad were memorizing together God's word. Micah 7 verse 7, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. I cannot tell you how precious those words were at her funeral. Words are very precious. God's word is very precious. And as we continue in our series in Amos, The Lord Who Roars, we are reminded today that Amos's words are precious. And more than that, they demand a response from Israel and from us as we come to them this morning. So to work through Amos 7 and 8, we're going to consider the words Amos preaches, then the words Amaziah rejects, and finally the words God removes. The words Amos preaches, the words Amaziah rejects, and the words God removes. We're going to start this by looking at the words Amos preaches in Amos 7 verse 1. If you've got your Bibles there, it'll be very helpful for you to turn to the book of Amos. That's where we'll be spending the vast majority of our time this morning. And Amos tells us about four visions that God gives him and that he is now giving us and he's giving Israel. So chapter 7 verse 1 of Amos, the first vision. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing a swarm of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. The first image that Amos is given is of locusts. Remember, Amos was an agricultural man. We heard in our reading that he was a shepherd and that he tended sycamore fig trees. And God gives agricultural images to his agricultural prophet so he'll feel the weight of what God is saying needs to happen. And he again sends a plague of locusts to destroy crops, to destroy livelihood and food. And notice when it comes. It comes after the king's share had been harvested. So it seems in Amos's day that the first harvest, the very first fruits of the land went to the king. That was like a tribute to him. And so the king was going to be fine. He's got his share. The locusts are then going to come in and the families of the farmers and the community will have no food to eat. 
And I think this is done by God to reinforce to Amos the injustice that has been going on in Israel. All through the book of Amos, the leaders of Israel are getting plenty. They're getting their share. And it is the everyday people who've been missing out. So God gives this image, this vision of judgment, and Amos says, Lord, stop, forgive. Jacob is so small. Your people are so small. How can they survive? And God relents. This will not happen. Verse 4, our second vision. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. Second vision, fire so fierce, it dries up the oceans. Can you imagine the ferocity of a fire that would make the Pacific Ocean disappear? And it covers the whole land, it destroys everything. And notice the name of God in this section. The Sovereign Lord showed me. Sovereign Lord, forgive. Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. God is sovereign. He is in control. And because Amos knows that God is sovereign, Amos prays. Amos knows that if anything is going to be done, God is going to be the one who does it. So for Norwest, as we are reminded of the sovereign Lord who is in control over all and can bring judgment or blessing. Let us be driven to prayer. God relents a second time on the second vision. Third vision, verse 7. And this we begin to see the meaning and the specificity, specificities, whatever that word is, of what Amos is preaching to Israel. Verse 7. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. As uh, Vish helpfully showed us earlier, uh, a plumb line is a weight on the end of a string that's like a spirit level for the ancient world. The weight ensures that the string is straight and so you can work out whether the building is straight, whether the lines are straight, whether they've been built accurately. Verse 8, and the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Imagine you're the structural engineer responsible for the build quality of a block of units. 
And uh, the day has come where a, uh, a quali- build quality inspector is coming around and checking your work to ensure that it's been done correctly. And uh, she's got a checklist of all the things that need to be straight in your block of units. The, the door jams need to be square and the walls need to be correctly aligned and every standard that needs to be met. And uh, she's got the checkbox for every one of those. And as you walk around with her, you get to every checkbox and it's fail, 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 fail. These all need to be torn down. That is the picture as God takes a plumb line to his people Israel. They are not straight. They are not right. They have not listened. They have strayed from the truth. They have disobeyed. They need to be destroyed. They need to be torn down. And you know, when we read Amos, we can be tempted to put ourselves in Amos' shoes as the righteous one, calling it out against the godless nation. But we don't need to think back too far before we realize that we are not true to plumb. I don't have to think back too far to realize that I have disobeyed. That I don't reach God's standard. That I don't live up to who I'm supposed to be. In our actions, in our thoughts, in our hearts, we by our strength are so far from what we ought to be. I am Israel. I've strayed. I need to be torn down. That's the plumb line vision. The fourth vision that Amos is given is in in chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked, a basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe. For my people Israel, I'll spare them no longer. It's similar to the plumb line vision. Did you notice in the first two visions, Amos intercedes, God relents. This will not happen. Then the next two, God uses Amos's name. What, what do you see, Amos? And Amos sees a true vision that exposes who Israel truly is. He sees that God can spare them no longer, though he is compassionate and he's relented many times. He sees that judgment is coming. Notice as well Amos's desire through these visions to intercede for his people. This is how we can be prophetic in our day and age. This is how we can be like Amos. Yes, we need to stand for truth in our country and in our culture. But before we cry out against our culture and our country, we must first cry out for our country and our culture to our God. 
We must be praying for our country that God would change hearts and minds and that he would save souls. We need to be like Amos as he preaches the words. Secondly, let's consider the words Amaziah rejects because he rejects the words that Amos is preaching. You might have noticed in between the plumb line vision and the ripe fruit vision, there's a whole section of chapter 7. Amos and Amaziah in between those two. And this shows to prove that Israel has rejected the word of the Lord. It goes to prove that they are not straight, that they have wandered. Let's have a look at verse 11. This is Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, speaking to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. He says to the king, this is what Amos is saying, Jeroboam, you king will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. That's a pretty blunt message for a prophet to give to the king of the country he lives in. It's a pretty blunt message for the sovereign Lord to give his people through his prophet. The king's going to die and they're going to be taken away from their land. The land that God had promised to them through Abraham in Genesis 12, they're going to be taken away from that. And remember, this is coming when it was a good time in Israel. Military conquests, material abundance, things are good. Jeroboam is having a successful reign. And Amos comes in and says, the king's going to die and you're going to be taken away from this land. So Amaziah, who is a priest at Bethel, a house of worship, rejects Amos and he tells him to go away. Verse 12, then Amaziah said to Amos, get out, you seer, go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. Don't speak God's words anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. It might seem at our first reading that Amaziah is rejecting Amos as a true prophet, but the word seer in verse 12 isn't an insult. It's an honorable title. It's not something that you'd use if you were trying to discredit somebody's, uh, a prophet's words. He says, get out, you seer. So he's saying that what the words that you're speaking may well be true, but I want you to get out. Go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there. As if Amos's only intention for speaking God's words is to earn himself a slice of bread. Do you prophesying there? Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Verse 13 is so gut-wrenchingly sad. It's heartbreakingly ironic. Do you know where Bethel got its name? Genesis 35 
the same sovereign Lord who is speaking to Amos and speaking to his people. In Genesis 35, he speaks to Jacob. God speaks his word to Jacob. And he tells Jacob that he will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. This is the start of Israel as a nation, spoken through God's word. And so in Genesis 35, Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him. And Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel which means the house of God. And years later, here is Amos in Bethel, in the house of God, speaking God's words to the priest of Bethel. And he says, stop speaking God's words. Get away. This is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Who are you to speak like that to the king? You know, we get ourselves into so much trouble when we va- our value for worldly things and our value for our traditions means that we don't listen to God. In the West, it's amazing that God speaks to us. We need to listen and cherish his word. It reminds me of Acts 7 where uh, Stephen has just explained to the Sanhedrin that all the promises of the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Jesus. And that when Jesus is killed by Israel, he's providing them a way to be saved. And Stephen says to these members of the Sanhedrin that they're resisting the Holy Spirit by not submitting to Jesus. How do they respond? Just like Amaziah, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, why on earth would the Sanhedrin respond like that to the words of God's messenger? Because God's word was messing with their categories. It was messing with their traditions. It made them uncomfortable. It meant they had to change. Are you prepared to listen to the Word of God? No matter which which of your categories it messes with. No matter what practices you have are called to change. When the Word of God calls us to stand on a social issue, will you do that and risk social acceptance, ostracism at work? When the Word of God calls you to share the good news of Jesus with your hard-hearted family members, will you do that? And risk further ostracism in that relationship. Let us commit to listening to Him.
no matter what he calls us to do, who to speak to. In Amos's time, Israel rejected the word of God by ignoring his commands. Today, we reject the word of God by ignoring his son. John 1 says that he came to that which was his own. Just consider that. Israel, that was so not true to plumb that they had to be destroyed. God responds by sending his son. And he came to that which was his own people, Israel, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh. The world did not receive him. They ignored him like Israel, like Amaziah, like the Sanhedrin. And unless we surrender all to Jesus, we are the same. But if we accept him, we become children of God. Amos doesn't stop prophesying. Once again, with with tears in his eyes for Israel, he passes on God's message that they are going to be removed from the land. Chapter 7, verse 17. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Your wife, king, the wife of the king, will become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up, and you yourself will die in a pagan country, Jeroboam. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native lands. You know what's shocking about that is that it's not the worst judgment that's going to fall on Israel in the book of Amos. Let's finish today by considering the words God removes. Chapter 8, verse 11. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. You see, God's punishment for rejecting the word is to remove the word. If Amaziah doesn't want God's word in Bethel, then he'll soon see what it's like to live without God's word. This picture in verse 11 is once again agricultural, to an agricultural prophet. It's a famine. Famines are horrendous because there's been no food, no water, no strength for people. This is a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And people weary because they are so weak from not hearing God's word. They stagger from sea to sea. They wander aimlessly from north to east. They search, but they do not find because you cannot find God. You cannot search and find God's word. The sovereign Lord reveals himself to us. 
And if we reject the word, then he'll remove it from us. If we reject the word of God, his son, then he will remove his son from us. And we will spend eternity staggering and wandering in search of the word of the Lord in torment forever. Better a lion that is roaring than one that is silent and about to pounce. Throughout this series, we've said that there are three key responses to the book of Amos. When Amos's hard message hits a soft heart, we've seen that we're to trust God, to delight in God. No worse, we need to listen to God's word. We need to cherish Jesus, the word that became flesh. For us to learn from Amos... Let us be eternally thankful for the Word of God. Only in Him can we guard against our heart's desire to respond like Amaziah. Only in Him can we prevent ourselves from responding like the Sanhedrin. Only in Him can we be built true to plumb. The word of God is eternally precious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that in him we are a straight, strong wall, children of God. Lord, would you help us to run to Jesus? Cherish him, delight in him, savor him for all that he is. Let us live lives that are devoted to him. Amen.